As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Real estate is great for that reason because you can be a land guy. You can be a land parcel guy. You can guy that puts utilities in and flips it to the developer. You can be a finance guy. I mean, there's so many career opportunities in real estate. And I've had the good fortune of touching a few and really becoming an expert in some others. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money, and also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's this today? Alexander Radosevic. How you doing, Alexander? Doing great. Well, I'm glad to hear that and looking forward to our conversation. So a little bit about Alexander. He launched his real estate company, Canon Business Properties, in 2001. His company now owns or manages over $2 billion of retail, hotel, industrial, and residential properties based in Beverly Hills, California. With that being said, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current business focus? Sure. Initially, I was an investment banker with Lehman Brothers from 84 to 87, and that collapsed them. I got involved with real estate through a client and have consistently stayed in that marketplace from the acquisition side into management and construction. And the focus of our company is in those areas today. We focus on retail investment, commercial industrial investments. We also then take care of construction, construction management, And we're also advisors in other genres for debt financing and things along that nature. So when you were an investment banker and you transitioned into real estate full-time, what were a couple of your first projects that you worked on? 
Interestingly enough, I was involved with debt financing first. Numbers is something that comes very good to me. So I analyzed a lot of properties first before we started making acquisitions. So it gave me a lot of understanding really how properties operate. And I looked at industrial, office, retail, all different types of investments from the analytics side and see how profitable they were for our investment purposes. And that was my first role in real estate. So you were a W-2 employee assessing opportunities that you all wanted to finance? Yes. Okay. And then how long do you have that role? To give you an idea, after about two years of doing this, one of the brokers I did a transaction with I asked, how did everything go? Were you happy with the funding and stuff? He says, oh, it's a great job. Threw out a number. He goes, what are you going to do with your $10,000? And I was like, excuse me? He said, well, yeah. He goes, uh, isn't that what you made on this? And I was thinking like, wow, this is uh, interesting. What did you get out of the deal? And he said, well, I made 50000 out of it. So I had immediately said, so selling is a much better opportunity from the side of the financing for me at that time, I thought. And I enjoyed getting out of the office and working on properties. So that sort of conversation got me to get out of an office, go entrepreneurial, and to begin to search for investments on my own. And that's how I started my company. I was driven by the commission dollars earned from the sale and acquisition side other than the financing side. Mm -hmm. So you had that background both from Lehman Brothers as an investment banker and then also looking at debt financing. And what was first couple projects as an entrepreneur? Well, probably the one that I'd say to me was the best one for me long term. In 1994, we had the L.A. riots here and South Central L.A. was the area in which was hurt the most. At that time, I was looking at properties there and found an abandoned bakery, about a 40,000-foot single-tenant building, had been burnt. I took a risk, which we all know risks can have great rewards, acquired the property, went in. I had some construction background already through my family. My father was in the construction business, went through, cleaned the property up, and converted it into a nine-unit multi-tenant manufacturing slash warehousing building. And what that became was my first value-add project, really without even knowing it. And it sort of set a template for me going forward and something I still do today. How'd you get the funds to purchase that? So my very first real estate transaction of my life, I bought land at Laughlin before Laughlin was ever developed. I was reading something called the Penny Saver a throwaway paper here in LA sure. while I worked at Lehman Brothers in my 20s. I think I was 22 at the time when I bought it. And I bought two and a half acres on the river, which as we know, Laughlin, Nevada is now turned into quite a profitable sort of marketplace. There's hotels from 60,000 people there living and so forth. So that was my first opportunity in real estate. And I used those funds from the monies I made there and continue to invest those monies because I sold out of that property and invested into other real estate opportunities. And that abandoned bakery, did you get financing on it? Yeah, we did. At the time, it was tough to get. You know, you're know, you paying high interest rate money. Yeah, you're talking double-digit rates. But I think I probably leveraged in somewhere around 40% debt was all I could get out of it. So I had to raise 68% capital. But once I got the capital and the profit was, uh, not even the profit, really, the building was bought at such a good price, obviously, like anything at that time, it was worth it.
I took a little risk and the rewards were there. So it's been a little while since that property that we're referring to, and I respect your memory. I appreciate you going back in time with us on this. And you've clearly grown your company to a great degree since then. So along the way, my assumption is that you've optimized certain things that you do now on deals compared to when you were doing your first handful of deals as an entrepreneur. What are some things that you've now optimized knowing what you know now? Well, from a standpoint of acquisition, due diligence has become, to me, the key to all the opportunities I find for myself personally and those that I represent on transactions. I'd say the ability to gather and review information today in comparison to what I did 20 years ago is really one of the key elements to what we do for not only myself, as I said, for my clients, right? So we've got a very vast portfolio of property. We look at tons of deals all the time and our ability to thoroughly examine cash flow, marketplaces, management, financing, all within, let's say, a concise period of time so that we're performing and not losing opportunities like we had at times. I'd say that's been probably the key growth for me personally, is to have the ability to analyze the information quickly and that the information is accurate and thorough. It's been a great change for us. Would those be the four buckets that you'd group due diligence in on a high level, cash flow, marketplaces, management, and financing? Well, those four are critical. Look, first of all, you have to know what you want to achieve. Are you looking value add? Are you long-term hold? Are you short-term? Are you going to tear down, develop? You have to know what you're shooting for. But first and foremost, like they say, location, location, location. And then, of course, pricing and financing because you've got debt. And for me, since we have a lot of properties under management, we're real strong on who will be the team that's going to be responsible for that asset as it's being repositioned or acquired. So those are four strong buckets, but there are other criteria in which we may look at something for a specific client, especially if we're looking for trophy slash legacy properties. There are other very serious factors to look at, and those become a little bit more detailed. And without getting into that, just leave it at that. But there's other criteria for different acquisitions, but those would be the four primary. So let's go with any of them, whichever one you, you want to go with, cash flow. When you say marketplaces, so I'm tracking what you're talking about. What are you referring to? Okay, so for us, if, for instance, I'm in corporate offices here in Beverly Hills. We consider LA our, our home base outside of Beverly Hills, a province within LA, right? So we look at the marketplace here as a focus. If we're looking at retail, we might be looking in Beverly Hills specifically, we might be looking in, at a trophy sort of property on Rodeo Drive. And then within that area, is this going to be a long-term home for the family? Are we looking to perhaps take out a quality tenant, bring in a new tenant that the family has a relationship with? It's sort of that sort of criteria. If we're looking at industrial properties, which I'm a big fan of, to be honest with you, we're looking for properties that are located near international airports in major cities like LAX, Denver, Cincinnati. 
we're looking for major distribution centers, let's say within a mile or two mile radius that we're looking to acquire to develop. So that marketplace already has a built-in need or let's say a built-in opportunity, if you will. So that's the criteria in which we're investing for that particular purpose. And again, we're in different areas, but let's just hone in on the idea of industrial, for instance. Sure. We've looked at stuff in Houston, George Bush Airport, LAX Airport. We want to stay, as I said, within a mile to two mile radius. We know that these are key opportunities for distribution. Distribution now is becoming quite a big topic with what Amazon's done recently to the marketplace. We've been probably doing that for almost 15 years consistently. And that actually has been one of the best returns we've seen. Industrial real estate's become a very hot topic, whereas 15 years ago, there were very few really that dedicated to that market space. So that's what I'm referring to. If it's an industrial, we're very specific on the criteria we're going to acquire. We have a base of who we're probably going to be looking for for tenants. We're doing build-to-suits, if you will, along the way. And that's how we evaluate the real estate. If it's going to be an office building, again, it's going to be whether it's in South Beach, Miami, in a marketplace right now where we're looking at some opportunities, there has to be for us to evaluate a end game police for us in that marketplace that we're not just going in blindly. And I think that's where we really capitalize again on the information that we're ascertaining on these deals. Because when you're not in a city itself, you've got to rely on foot soldiers, information. So this is critical to us. Let's talk about a recent transaction. Just real quick, what's a recent transaction? Then I've, I've got a, a couple questions. Just want to learn more about it. Sure. So recently, we're looking at, to be honest with you, land acquisition that we're going to go into for the development of a boutique-style hotel. That's hot in this marketplace, as you know, and I know I've had some of your speakers speak about this, but the small boutique hotel is a very hot market. We're looking now for something on the coast here in California. California has a lot of restrictions, which do many coastlines. But we found the land. We do have entitlements in place. And it was a process. It was started by the previous owner some nine years ago. Wow. And it will take us about another four more years of entitlement work to get what we need out of it. So to give you an idea, that's a very, very market specific opportunity. And once it is entitled, of course, like anything else, um, it will give us tremendous amount of opportunity and uh, profitability. That's for sure. I was going to ask some questions, but you took it in a direction that's much more interesting than what I was thinking. So let's talk about nine years that they started on it and then four additional years. So what is transpiring over the four years? Sure. So Coastline development, which is similar to, let's say, inner city development, if you've got too many apartment buildings, there's more restrictions placed on it. But coastline here in California in particular is, is difficult. So the nine-year process was converting what was originally a residential slash commercial use into what would be a hotel use. So the zoning process itself with the prior ownership and the city combined with the Coastal Commission, all have to come to an agreement on the conversion from its initial approved use into a hotel-based use. Mm -hmm. So you've got three different governmental agencies working at the same time, and not all of them want the same result. 
So then you have to have some legal power come in and you have to have some meetings with city officials. And there's just so many things that take place oh, yeah. that many people give up. And this family persevered, but they owned quite a bit of real estate, knew or were properly advised by a third party that said, this is going to be your highest and best use. But the issue was they couldn't take it to the end because they lacked what the city really wanted, which was where we come in, hotel experienced operator developer that could show the finish line to them. And that's where some people get stuck in repurposing a property. You have the great idea and you have the right intention, but you don't have the expertise. Mm -hmm. So without the expertise, sometimes you just have to sell it and allow someone else with more expertise to take over. So we're looking at that opportunity now and we're going to get the feedback we believe that we should get, which is an approval. And the issues now we're battling with is how many keys are we going to get out of the property? We would like to get 131 keys, but we may only get 101. Well, if you're only getting 101 keys versus 131, you've lost almost 25%, right? So now the dollars and cents become more critical. The construction costs may come down, but then your cash flow NOI on the back end are also coming down. So these are real critical issues when you're developing any sort of project roundup that's relying on cash flow, right? Not a single tenant use. So this is part of what any development this would be the same with an industrial building. If you only get a 500,000 foot structure down to 300,000 feet, it's the same sort of an issue. But in this particular matter, we're fighting to get as many keys as we can, obliging the city with communal parking for the beach, providing some retail opportunity, a quality restaurant, and all those factors come into painting this beautiful picture so that someone sitting behind an office today that goes to a council meeting can now look at this visually and say, okay, I get it. Let's go with 131 rooms or let's put the difference at 117, but you got to give us an extra 100 car parking on the weekends for the beach. And we would like two restaurants instead of one and some other criteria. So it's a give and take and it's a process, but it's one that in this particular case, I can't share with you the exact location, but it's going to be very well received and very well used hotel. So that you're estimating four years from now, yes, yes, that process will be completed. What about the project makes it worth four years of your life to focus on? Okay, so in that particular market space, it would be the only, let's say, Class A opportunity there. So number one, the destination is very well known. Mm-hmm. However, there just has not been a new development there in over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So to give you an idea, number one, we've capitalized on what the most important part, quality AA plus location, the most newest development, highly traffic, perfect opportunity for us to capitalize on what would be a new destination, high dollar rent per door, and in a marketplace, as I said, it's very desirable. It's a very well-known area. So if I said, it'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe this would be the first one in 20 years, but that's the way it is. It's just, it's been that way. So that's the answer for that. Now, why is it worth the four years? Well, the back-end value of it, the construction costs after we're done and into this project, and depending on what flag we decide to put there, it will be more than 4x return on your money after it's all said and done. So you're looking for that sort of opportunity. It doesn't come that often. So you have to be patient. Just part of real estate. You have to be patient at times. And this is one of those you're going to have to jump through not one hoop, not two hoop, but probably like 50 more hoops. 
it's going to be that sort of process. If you were the original owner, so nine years ago you owned that land, and for whatever reason, it also would have taken you 13 years from the start to finish to get it done. Would you have chosen to do this versus just, you said it was zoned for residential, so I assume you could do some sort of multifamily use there? Yes. No, because <laughs> multifamily, well, actually, let's take that back. The answer is I would have chosen it knowing what I know now. Nine years ago, you don't know. So if you take a risk, like when I bought that 1994 property, mm-hmm. they took a risk and carried a torch a long way. It only lacked one component. They don't have the expertise in this marketplace to develop this property. They had to have a third party come in or flip it. Mm-hmm. So had they had the experience, then they would have taken this all the way to the end and really benefited. But they took it as far as they could. And one lesson I learned from one of my original clients was I bought some land. I bought land a lot. And I had asked one of my clients to help me to build it. He was a builder. He was actually an industrial real estate builder and a mentor of mine. And one of the guys I first started managing with. And I bought some land down in San Diego. And I said, look, I, I got this from a guy who went belly up out of New York doing a subdivision, funny enough, in San Diego. And it was about 32 acres. And we can get 16 homes out of it. Each parcel had to be a minimum of two acres. And I was going to put a park in the middle of it, and it would be a communal park for family. Sounds like and a nice so place. I laid it all out, and I called my client up. And I said, would you help me with this? And his answer was, Alex, you're a great guy. I was maybe 29 at the time, not even 30 yet. And he says, but here's what I'm going to tell you. If you can just get some utilities there and get some streets paved, let someone else carry the torch and build the houses. Mm-hmm. You did your part and make a profit. So to give you an idea, I ended up buying it all in those pieces at about $70,000 per two plus acre parcel was my total all-in cost in the end. And I sold them all for over 200000 a piece without putting up a structure. Beautiful. So just assembling land and getting utilities and basically doing the subdivision, getting things lined up and handing it to somebody else can also be a very profitable business in real estate. Real estate's great for that reason because you can be a land guy, you can be a land parcel guy, you can guy that puts utilities in and flips it to the developer, you can be a finance guy. I mean, there's so many career opportunities in real estate, and I've had the good fortune of touching a few and really becoming an expert in some others. But the land sort of thing happened through a client who said, I won't help you, but here's what I would do if I were you, and this is how I got started. Mm -hmm. With this transaction, the one on the boutique hotel, did you just outright purchase that land from them, or is there a joint venture? We will do a joint venture. Okay, cool. And they will participate, as some do, not on a 50-50 basis, but we're giving a sort of back-end deal. And then at the time of the sale, if we decide to sell out, there'll also be a piece for them on the back-end. Cool. So their contribution was the land, land. plus getting it to wherever point they had gotten it, and then you're taking it. Correct. It. Got it. Okay. And if they had sold it to you outright, I was going to ask you why they didn't just do a joint venture, but never mind. Okay. It's logical, and you would love that. Any guy like me would love to have been able to acquire it all out, but you know what? They're not fools either. They did have counties, or you know, they yeah. just didn't have the expertise to take it to the next level. As I didn't when I bought that land in San Diego, I knew the client, and it was a client of mine. But he says, "Look, Alex, I don't want to build with you right now, my friend. I'm building other things, but you know, here's what I would do, and, and take it from there." So they did what they could do, and I think they're very happy. We came in strong, and it don't. Don't get me wrong, this is something that doesn't happen a day. It took quite a bit of time to build a relationship. 
It's not just coming in and knocking on someone's door and saying, hey, we're the best deal in town. It's building a relationship with someone, a family, and creating some faith and trust and having some sort of proven track record to do something. Taking a giant step back, based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Wow. Best ever advice. If you can, try to hold the properties that you buy allow them to appreciate and leverage against them as opposed to selling them and trying to trade up. We all need to sell and trade up to buy bigger and better things, but there comes a point in which if I just had held on a little bit longer to some investments, I could have easily leveraged out now two, threefold what I got out of it selling it. It's just the way it is. And I've tried to buy in areas because I've understood how to underwrite property so I'm always trying to buy in areas where I know that are strong, that are growing. As a cheat sheet answer, and sorry to divert, but you know, you'll have a chance to do what you want with the information I'm providing, but I would track the top five best places to live and work in the United States when we're looking at analyzing properties. So that's one of the criteria I look for. I look at consensus information throughout the country, and I'm tracking top five places to live and work. What does that tell me right away? There's expansion, there's stability, there's financing. So I've tried to invest that way, not just in California, but throughout the United States where I put my money and my clients' money to work. So in those marketplaces, you know that push comes to shove, you can always get rid of a property. But yep. in all those marketplaces that we've held on to, refinancing out, cashing out, holding the asset is a better position to take. What source do you use for best places to live and work or sources? Because there's all sorts of stuff. Oh, at this point Max now, yeah, there's uh, <laughs> other places. Yeah, you can go on. Yeah, unfortunately, that's changed a lot too. <laughs> you bring up a great point without really saying it. There's too much information available for a lot of us. And knowing what information has value is what you're kind of alluding to. Yeah. Which one of the many sources is there? So there are government consensus in every state that I'm more a fan of than just a third-party periodical published by a company saying these are the spaces. So I'm looking at cities. I'm looking at their information provided because they are the most accurate in terms of income, revenue, traffic, tax bills, all that information. Now, there are companies now that are coming out, and I've had a chance to speak on some panels that are out there, but I won't say one is favored to the other. I would have to say, if you go online, you're looking for that specific information. Growth, tax bill, tax benefits, utility bills, sort of opportunities. You must understand, if you're building an industrial building, I'd rather build in an industrial marketplace right now that the city is giving tax benefit for the next 10 years for developers coming in that are building in this marketplace. And I know that's going to be attractive for the buyer coming in and the manufacturer coming in because they're also getting tax benefits. So if I'm looking at an industrial building, I'm looking for those specific marketplaces with those key information, if you understand what I'm saying. Yep. So I'm picking the five best places to live and work, and then I'm saying, okay, I want to build an industrial park near an airport. Where am I getting the best tenants benefits from? That area is going to be growing. This would be a multi-tenant park. There'll be a lot of small mom and pops wanting to develop in that area and service the community. So I'm looking at true city factual statistics. I'm not really going to third-party emailing sort of collaborated sort of surveys done by third parties. I'm actually going to those cities and getting as much information as I can from them directly. And then your team has to aggregate that and then 
make it apples to apples comparisons because I'm sure you get in all sorts of different formats from each of the different cities, right? Right. And there are, as I said, without giving a lot of secrets out, there are ways to get that information a little bit easier, but you're right. We will look at the information, aggregate it, and I'm looking for specific factors that are attractive to me in that marketplace. As I said, housing, if you're doing an apartment structure, how many have to be in a community that's really thriving? How many of those have to be units that are dedicated to housing for X, Y, and Z? Is it 10% of that property is going to have to be subsidized housing? Is it 18% of that property has to be subsidized housing? So that element to me right away is important because that's going to change my cash flow out of that property by X percentage. Is it worth it for us? So we're looking at certain criteria within that marketplace specific to our needs. Makes sense. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I hope so. Let's do it. Uh, All right. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at EntrepreneurDrinks.com. That's EntrepreneurDrinks.com. Best ever book you've recently read? Wow, that's a tough one. I'd have to say probably a book, great by choice. Let's go with that one. Jim Collins, he's a pretty well-respected author, and he's got some good books out. I don't know how many bestsellers, he's got quite a few. And the most recent one really is, why do some companies thrive, let's say, in uncertainty, even chaos, and others not? It's a great read. It's something that anybody in business can use. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? Wow. A mistake. You know what? As always, lack of due diligence. What about uh, best ever deal you've done? Mm. I alluded to the first one, the bakery, but probably the best ever I ever did was buying that land in Laughlin, Nevada. It was my first and it had an amazing return. What'd you buy it and what'd you sell it for? So I bought those parcels of land for $2,500 with $500 down, (laughs) 2.5 acres on the Colorado River. I'm embarrassed to say that we're talking well over hundreds of percent return on my money. (laughs) Embarrassed slash you do it again. (laughs) Oh my God. Let's say a thousand percent return on my money, right? Yes, of course. It's just luck. Sometimes we need to be lucky in life, right? But I was reading a paper, and I'll tell you why I read the paper. Can I get a minute? Yeah, yeah, of course. Lightning round, you got it. I'll just tell you a true story. At the time, I was working at Lehman Brothers, and a couple guys had brand new Porsches, and I wanted a Porsche. And I had heard a story that a woman sold her husband's Porsche for a hundred dollars, angry because she had cheated on him, and that's why I started reading that penny saver. Because I really was, I was reading the Wall Street Journal, what you normally do as an investment banker, right? You know, you're in a different realm. But that story got me so convinced, so I started reading it all the time, and coincidentally, I found this guy selling this land in the penny saver and contacted him, and he goes, if you buy this, you're going to be rich, kid. He was like 22 at the time. The guy was like 45 years old. He was an airline pilot of all things who was friends of the developer. 
Oh, and he wow. goes, trust me, you're going to be lucky. And uh, <laughs> I bought as much as I could for $500, you know, each time. And, and that's how it worked out. Oh, good for you. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Okay, so I didn't come from any family with money, to be honest with you. I alluded my dad was in construction. My mom and dad divorced when I was six months old, and my mom remarried a clothing guy. And I worked after school every day as a kid since I was eight years old, buttoning blouses and sweeping the floor and doing things like that with my stepdad. So I didn't come from any money. And what I do or what I like to do is help young entrepreneurs that lack education or funding, if you will, that have the strive and desire to be successful. I like to help in that manner one-on-one if I can. So I always focus on trying to help young people or young men or women, whether it comes through my office and they leave to go on to another career, or they come through my office and start their own construction company, whatever it is that I can do. But I like the idea of working with someone one-on-one and helping them grow. How can the best ever listeners learn more about your company? Okay, so the company is Canon Business Properties, Inc., I'm at my office here. My website, you gave it, is canonproperties.com, and I'm happy to take any email. I mean, I try my best to respond, but I'm at alex at canonproperties.com. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show, and I loved hearing about the Boutique Hotel land acquisition joint venture that you're doing and just talking us through the four-year process knock on wood that you're about to undertake you and your partners as well as the previous nine years that your joint venture partner undertook with what they did and then also the deals that you did previously and then talking a little industrial too we don't talk enough about industrial on this show so again thank you so much for being on the show really grateful for our conversation hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon thank you so much for your time and i really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you as well When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.